0: November 18th, 2012, lecture discussion number 89 on the book of Romans, more specifically Romans 5, uh, 5, 12 through 14. Uh, As you know, I've been getting uh, from the internet folks, of which um, it's shocking how many of you there are, uh, but I've been getting a lot of letters, and you see what I do uh, with their letters. I get uh, this one, and and so I write how to answer it, and um, I should just write them back. But sometimes they, they come into, uh, they come into uh, subjects or questions that actually fit what we're doing, and that's the case here. I received this too late really to, um, to set it up like I would like, Uh, too late to make the broadcast, if you will, but I got a letter from Janet here in uh, Oklahoma with regard to the mystery of the holy thing. And, uh, let me read this to you really fast. Uh, so that I can uh, deal with it very, very quickly uh, to help Janet out here. As At Bible study last Thursday, a comment was made uh, by the teacher that stunned me. It had to do with the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. She said, the teacher said, that Mary was only the vessel by which Christ came into the world as a baby. When I questioned her about the fully human aspect of Christ, she denied that it came from Mary because Mary had a sin nature and Christ could not be part of that. I wanted to make sure I was understanding her correctly. Being a life science person, she's a registered nurse, I specifically asked about Mary's DNA being in Christ. The teacher said no. Have I believed the wrong thing all these years? Uh, Is the teacher wrong? I thought the seed of the woman was literally a seed, the egg, and if Christ did not get his humanity from Mary, how can he truly be the in the line of david and doesn't didn't Paul say since by men death and all uh, I'm saying since by man came death and all in Adam died that's uh, Romans five twelve through fourteen right so she's right on subject Jesus Christ did not come and let's see and and didn't Paul say. Since by man came death and all in Adam died, Jesus Christ did not come into this world in the way every other human being has. That is the union of man and woman. Jesus was born of a virgin with no help from man. Is my reasoning flawed? And if I'm right, where in the world did such a doctrine come from? Please help. Janet from Oklahoma. Okay. And so I answered her on her letter. This, uh, this is, uh, um, I wouldn't say it's recent. It's been around a long time. It's the surrogate birth position. Are you familiar with the Mary as the vessel? Now, it doesn't come from the Catholics. The Catholics recognized, bless their hearts, that they had a problem with Mary's sinfulness. So what did they do to fix it? They made her sinless. And that worked really good. And Thomas of Aquinas, St. Thomas, as he's referred, fought that for his entire life. He knew that this was a difficult step for them to take. But nonetheless, that's how it's solved um, by uh, by the Catholic Church. They have made uh, Mary sinless. That just causes you more problems, right? Um, how did she uh, How did she get born without sin? Okay. Now I'm in turtles all the way down, right? Uh, here we go with well, the infinite regression fallacy. But nonetheless, uh, this view has been around quite a while. Kathy, um, uh, Kathy uh, in the front row, who is now in California. Hi, Kathy um she brought it to me a few months ago and i said that i once i got to um romans 512 i would start dealing with it again Uh, the bible is specific through man sin and death entered the world now what does that mean how do i deal with that And, and eve is called the mother of the living um is the egg, let me just ask you a bunch of questions to get Janet started here, and then I'll, I'll get out of it. Is the egg flawed? In other words, does the egg of the woman, is it contaminated? Or is it only the man that is flawed? What is your view? And, and what are we talking about here? We have the mystery of the incarnation. Paul calls this Paul, the Apostle Paul, a man who is face-to-face with Christ, who is in the wilderness, who is taught by the Holy Spirit almost... Uh, who is called up into heaven, who has all of this understanding, the, the great teaching Pharisee that he is, um, he called it the mystery. And it's called the holy thing, as you know, in the Bible. Um, but if, see, here's your point. Here's your problem. I'm just going to wing it here. Let me turn it over, make sure I don't forget anything. Did God, when He hovers over Mary, did the Holy Spirit hover over Mary? Did the Holy Spirit bring His own egg? Because that's your choice. Does He have an egg supply? And if He does have an egg supply, whose egg is it? Did He make His own, or is it happened? Did He set one aside when He makes Eve? Okay, I'm going to make Eve. I'm going to take one out. Ah, got one, no sin in it, and I'll bring that when I hover over Mary. Works. Or. Did he clean the egg that he, that's in Mary? Does he clean things? Can he divide the sin from the woman? Is he a divider? So that's your question. He makes eyes, doesn't he? Spits on the ground, makes some dirt, you know, makes an eye, sticks it in a guy. Can he make an egg on the spot? Who are we talking about here? Um, and ultimately... Uh, uh, all of those kinds of questions have to be developed and discussed and, and, um, um, and you have to decide whether or not uh, this is a surrogate birth or he actually used. See, if he has, can he have the DNA of, can, let me put it this way, could God, God avoid Mary's sin in the incarnation process? Okay. Can he separate her sin out from herself? Is he going to do that, by the way? Yeah, what do we call that? The transformation process, right? Uh, The the rapture. It's going to happen at the rapture. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Good for you. Because without humanity, there is no accepted substitute. And, and Janet from Oklahoma is absolutely correct. Without humanity, I do not have the line of David, in, and that's a fantastic a prophecy that has. I don't have the Jeconiah problem without humanity that I have to solve. I don't have a purpose for the human birth if I don't have humanity. I've got all these problems that occur if you say. And I understand what they want to do. They they want to have sinless humanity. Are they right about sinless humanity? Absolutely they are. I have to have perfect humanity. It says Christ is sinless, perfect humanity. So he has no sin in him. If he has sin in him, then the sacrifice won't work. But without humanity, I don't have an accepted substitute. Why would I have a virgin birth, a birth at all, if not for the humanity aspect? Why any birth? Just appear. Why does, you know, you have to say, what is the reason for this virgin birth? And where do we find out the answer to that? In Genesis 3, that's correct. So, uh, Janet from Oklahoma, uh, uh, you, you you brought up a wonderful question. And you're right, it has to be discussed where we are. And I just got you started, as I often do. So, um, but that will get you going, and I will deal with it in the coming weeks. So, we're in Romans 5, 12 through 14. We're still there. Get used to being here a while. This is the typology of Adam, the federal headship of Adam, two of the most difficult subjects in, in all of the Bible and all of Scripture uh, to deal with. Add to those two the curse, which is also there with regard to Adam, and, and you, and the curse and the death and the sin problem, and, of course, this humanity problem and the substitute and the sacrifice, all of this stuff, and you've got a mountain of, uh, uh, of information to sift through, three lifetimes of study. Just right there. Just with the federal headship, the typology, and the curse. And every time you sit down and you read Romans 5, uh, back you've got to go to Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, even Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. You're still going to have to do all of that just to get through Romans 5. And then off you go to 1 Timothy 2.14-15 through 15, because that's where it says Adam is not deceived and the woman is first in sin. And those are, are as I said, lifetimes of study. The implications... Uh, Of all of that is profound and the depth is astonishing. And then off you go into the presence of the two trees and the two decisions. And you've heard me talk about this for, I've done it years and years and years. Uh, Ty came uh, five years ago, I was in his subject, he comes back, I'm still here. And so that's just, uh, there really was stuff in between Ty, there really was. but uh, (laughs) He wouldn't know it uh, if he, anyway. You're now, uh, you're now, they're going to, for those of you in Australia, he's too tall Tie, So, so now you'll get hate mail like the rest of us. Uh, work out. Yeah, 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 you're used to that, I know. So, but I have these two trees and there are two decisions and that's critical to know that I have two decisions and two trees, which once again uh, confronts the purpose of the two trees. Why were they in place, those two trees with their two decisions? And that brings uh, the definition of existence forward, which brings with it the discussion over free will. So, then the purposes of death is also here, or the consequences of death. Or what is accomplished by physical death? The why of death, or the necessity of death. Uh, you'll hear it called the why death question. As I say all the time, why doesn't he just give, give, once a sin occurred, how about a time out? Go to your room. The consequences of, of sin is physical death. Why? What is necessary about physical death? What is, what is the characteristics of it besides the fear and the terror that is there? And that's the same as the 317 question of Genesis, the curse of physical death is for our sake. And it's the for our sake mystery. How is the curse for our sake? Why is it for our sake? And now the student of Scripture, you got all of that in your basket. You must firmly know that the Bible foremost, especially the Old Testament, if you're reading the Old Testament and you don't understand that the Old Testament screams at you that God is love-filled. All the time. I'm watching some TV show the other day, uh, uh Bones. I hate to admit it, but I'm watching Bones, and the writers are so proud of themselves. They they have a character that uh, tells another character that the Bible is filled with hate. And they act as if that, that can't even be refuted. It's obvious it's filled with hate. Your Bible is filled with hate. And it just so happens, as you know, I did that a couple of weeks ago. If you do not understand that everything in the Old Testament is God preserving His salvation plan, it is love filled, because if He doesn't preserve His salvation, what happens? There's no salvation. Is that love? We'll get to that in a second. But anyway, you got to look at the Old Testament. Every time you read something in the Old Testament, you have to say, that is a picture of Christ and that is God himself uh, maintaining or preserving, protecting, intervening to ensure his plan of salvation is preserved. We don't understand very often God's preservation. and it, And I hope I do a little... But I know the church doesn't see God's preservation very well. It's seldom underseen, uh, understood or seen for what it is. It is his revelation. It is revelation of his love. He will keep his salvation. He will keep his salvation in place. His salvation will never fade away. His salvation is always. In the Old Testament, Is one after another where he is intervening and preserving his salvation. And I want you to notice really fast the Yeshua aspects or Yeshua aspects of that, how the language applies. Jesus Christ is named Yeshua. That means what? Salvation. So you have the preservation aspect there. Jesus Christ is always and forever. Jesus Christ is revealed as God Himself, and His saints are the saved, are what? They are preserved. In the doctrine it's called the preservation of the saints. And His first coming, His first Advent is a love filled um, event. Focus, if you will. Anyway, that's there. Also murder is defined as spiritual death. Or forever death, the tree of forever. The tree of living forever, lest you grab from the tree of forever. Remember all of that in Genesis. And murder is defined um, as a forever death, a spiritual death, as in contrast with a temporal death or the physical death. That's also part of Romans 5, 12, 14, as is childbirth. And both at 1 Timothy 2.14 and Genesis 3.16. So let me repeat that list of, uh, of connected things from last Sunday and put it on the board this Sunday so you start to see. I have free will and existence. Can you hear me, Terry? Okay. Existence as it is defined by God. Not as it's defined by us, but it has to be God's definition of Existence. And he makes sure that we have access to it in Scripture. How he defines what existence is. I have physical or I have temporal uh, death and the curse. Because the curse is not just death, it's also what? Toil, work, sweat. I have the forever Spiritual death or murder. Murder defined as spiritual death versus murder defined as temporal. When it says Satan was a murderer from the beginning, don't think he just killed people. He murdered them spiritually forever. That is why that tree of forever is in there. Lest he reach out forever. And take from the tree. So I call him the tree of death and the tree of forever. And now consequences and necessity. In other words, what are the consequences of death and what is the necessity of death? Okay, the what is also called the four your sake, or in this case because it's applying to us, for our sake. Why is the curse or death for our sake? How is that? Most people would say, and immediately they would say, death is not anything I'm interested in, not anything I want. How can it be for me? But it clearly says it is. And solving that is very, very important, understanding how death. Um, And then the fact that The Bible, the Old Testament is specifically, but all of the Bible, of course, is, I just say the Old Testament all the time because they always call the Old Testament hate-filled. It is not, it is love-filled, and and this preservation of, of his plan of salvation, preservation of salvation and the saved is so very, very important to see. All the time, and let me just repeat that what if he didn 't keep his saved see that 's the eternal security issue isn 't it what if he what if he didn 't keep his saved? Is that love filled? What if he has a plan of salvation by which no one is saved because they all lose it is that a love filled uh. Uh, perspective obviously it's not love filled it would require preservation of salvation wouldn't it he would establish his plan and he would preserve it they they have to be there together and then finally childbirth now what in the world is childbirth have to do with all of this. Well, it has a lot to do with it. Those are your six things that uh, connect together as you study Romans 5, 12 through 14, and back you go into Genesis uh, 2 and 3. Those six, as usual, very complex interconnections, which we have to uh, discover those interconnections and learn them, and we're going to try to accomplish some of that today, okay? But first, uh, here we go again. I have a, a letter from Benjamin in Chicago. So it's almost like read the letter day today and Benjamin is a, 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 a brilliant thinker and his letter is fantastic and I would urge you to come up and read it, um, but I can't read it all today because uh, I've covered the subject ad infinitum and, and I don't want to repeat it. But um, Benjamin in Chicago has a question about Luke 2.52 and Hebrews chapter 5. And it applies to what we're about to undertake. So it's fortuitous that he wrote in this week, and uh, and is very helpful. I One, as you know, I try to do this for them because I want them to feel included, and and they uh, uh, as much as I can. I, I can't do it all the time. Sorry, Jennifer from Arizona, but I do it as often as I can. I'll have an all Jennifer day here pretty soon because um, they're piling up, and I, I I haven't forgotten you. But let me read some of. Uh, what Benjamin says and like I said no time for all of it but please uh, read it it's excellent in its entirety and, and hopefully I'll, I'll be able to read it all someday he says this uh, he's talking about by the way repentance and salvation and, um, and all of that and the, and the significance of uh, the contrast between belief and faith and works and how repentance fits and all of that and he stops and he says I can continue forever on this but I'll cut it here I do have one question, though, which I can either call about, or if you want, you can address it in a lecture. You can see what I chose, Benjamin. Um, I'll address it here. Because, as you know, I'm buried trying to work on all this stuff that I'm doing. But the question is, how are we to understand Luke 2.52? And then it's I'll use his uh, um, translation. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature... And in favor with God and man. And he's puzzled by that. He sees stature and favor and increased and wisdom. And he knows uh, that, that, wait a minute. So let me continue. Was it that as he was growing with his brain, was it that as he was growing that his brain was developing to match or accommodate his spirit, mind, And he has infinite wisdom in parentheses. Stature is him growing bodily, but what about favor with God? In what manner did he increase in favor with God, or what was the cause of this increased favor? I know after the immersion of Yeshua that the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, so I'm trying to understand uh, the word increased. Thank you, Pastor Cronister. Keep running the course and fighting the good fight. Your brother in the Lord, Benjamin from Chicago. See, Benjamin immediately recognizes, wait a minute, uh, I have to be careful separating Jesus from God, which is what everybody does, and it's a constant problem in the church. Uh, and Luke 2.52 causes even the um, among the best of scholars, uh, Dr. Henry Morris, for example. Uh, and I, as you know, I use Mr. Morris uh, quite often, a, a giant of uh, biblical commentators of my lifetime, uh, along with uh, Mr. Fruchtenbaum and M.R. DeHaan. But Dr. Morris struggled mightily at Luke 2.52. Ultimately, he adopted a pseudo-kenosis position that Christ must have Emptied himself of his omniscience and then uh, reacquired his omniscience over time. And that is an indefensible position. Something that cannot be true because the whole of scripture opposes it. So immediately discard that view if you have it. And I don't think that anyone here does, but I'm saying that for the benefit of the vast internet audience. Okay, I'm kidding about the vast part. We can always hope. Just remember that when you come across something like Luke 2.52 and it troubles you, one thing you don't do is start dissecting Christ from God. Don't do that. So you can, and God increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Read it that way, if that helps you. Or read it, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with Jesus. Start doing that. But whatever you do, don't start saying that there is this difference between God and Christ because there is not. There is sameness. And remember, when you come across a a troublesome verse that you can't understand, don't cast out all the rest of the Bible because you're confused. That's a mistake. Don't become a one-verse person where all you have is this one verse that you can't figure out and you don't care what else the Bible says. You're going to break right here and that's the end of you. Wait for God to teach you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. He will put somebody or some scholar somewhere. Somehow you will find out if you will keep looking. You look. He'll lead you where you need to go. And yes, I'm very much aware, I really am, that most people in the church today, they love, love being wrong and will not change. They will not. They love their wrong and they're never going to let go of their wrong, irrespective of what Scripture provides, is a mountain of evidence contrary to their beloved error. They're going to cling to it, to the death. And so what follows uh, that I'm going to say is not for those those kind of people. Um, I know you're all out there. You send me all that mail, and you hate me, and it's okay. Okay, it's not okay. I'm really thin-skinned, and I'm I'm very, very sensitive and emotional. And so, so, go ahead, keep sending me the mail. Uh, at least I know you're listening, and that's not bad. Okay, but uh, it really, uh, I know I'm not going to convince you guys. Uh, but for the others, uh, someday, um, you've got to remember, okay, go back to the other people for a second. Someday, if you want to hold on to your error, regardless of what the Bible says, eventually what happens? Yeah, Ty's saying you go crazy. Uh, No, eventually you're going to stand in front of the throne. And I hope for your sake that you will submit to Jesus Christ and what he says is true. Uh, But I don't think that's going to happen. I think people will love their error so much that they will, they will cling to it in front of his face. They will not submit. They will insist that Christ isn't correctly interpreting his own word. Good luck. Ah, i just I just know this. I get their mail, as you know. anyway, <clears throat> hopefully, when you read luke twenty two fifty two hopefully it is obvious that you already know that Jesus Christ has sameness with God. This is the triune Godhead. Jesus Christ is God, He's always God. He's forever God. He's never not God. He cannot increase in wisdom. He cannot. He is omniscient and omniscience is infinite and so he has infinite omniscience and infinite cannot increase basic math how much is inf- how, you know infinite plus 1 what is that still infinite you cannot increase infinity nor can he gain stature with god or himself he has all of the stature and all of the favor so if you begin to interpret that as Jesus started out with not very much wisdom, he's a little dumb, and God didn't really like him. That's your position. And over time, God said, oh, I up." it up. And keep in mind that he's talking about himself. I mean, it's, it's crazy thinking. But how popular is it in the church? I go to a hundred churches, how many of them would say, uh, and Jesus, uh, God didn't really like Jesus much. Uh, he was uh, dumb and uh, he was small. And as he grew up, and uh, God said, "Oh, hey, he's doing pretty good." I think I'll keep him. How many churches are I going to get? That go that way. Out of a hundred, come on, I had ninety-nine. Guaranteed. What do I do? I don't, I don't know. drink more Diet Coke. Jesus Christ cannot gain stature and favor. He has all the stature. He has all the favor. He has all the wisdom. He has wisdom is omniscience. He's got it all. He's infinite. So thus, the obvious question. With whom can he increase with? Who's in the sentence? God and man. With whom can he increase with? What does it mean to increase in stature and wisdom and favor with man? I'll I'll get to God here in a second. Or himself, if you will. See, there are two choices in the context, aren't there? God or man. And and, and by the way, this is exactly Hebrews 5.8. Exactly the same language in a sense. So it, when you're starting right next to your Bible, when you're at Luke 2.52, put uh, Hebrews 5.8. Because it's the same language. In that uh, it is sacrificial language or high priest language used on a feast day language. A high Sabbath uh, language is what it is. It's one of the great feast days of the Lord language, of which there are seven. So pick your feast day. It doesn't make it clear which one it is. I always take the position that it is Yom Kippur. I can't really guarantee that's true other than I hope I'm right. Hebrews 5 makes it clear that the entire chapter that 5.8 is inside of is a high priest sacrificial system context. Hebrews 5.1 references the high priest, as does Hebrews 5.4, as does Hebrews 5.5, 5, 5, as does Hebrews 5.6, as does Hebrews 5.10. And Hebrews 5.7 and 8 are surrounded by high priest Aaron and Melchizedek. They're marinated in high priest. So what happens in 5.7 and 5.8 of Hebrews is... In a high priest feast day sacrificial system language context. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So don't separate them out of that, which is what everybody does. They find 5, 7, and 8 and they take it and they put it over here and they completely forget about the fact that it is in, if you will, a Yom Kippur context. Don't separate it out. Don't separate them out of the sacrificial system procedures. If you do, you're going to fall into error. You're out of context, uh, but that's sadly what most readers do. And I've often wondered why so many Christians are so rushing to insult and dis and demean and blaspheme uh, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. They they can't wait to do it. They love to do it. And when I try to stop them from doing it, I find out it won't work. Why? What's wrong? They want so much to put sin inside of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, what happens to you? You're unsaved immediately because you've fouled the sacrifice. And a sacrifice can't be accepted. If Christ has sin in him, and fear, by the way, is sin, and selfishness is sin, right? If you foul the sacrifice, not knowing something causes fear. He's omniscient, so you're saying he's not infinite. If he's not infinite, then the sacrifice isn't acceptable. So, you want to foul the sacrifice, and then this is what they tell me. Oh, he only has sin in his humanity. His God side has no sin, just his humanity side has sin. He's filled with sin as a human, but not as, as, he has this other side that never talks to each other. I, look, if he has sin in his humanity side, Then you're not saved because it's the humanity side that is the sacrifice and the substitute thing. And if you've got sin in the humanity side, you don't have any blood that is sinless. If you don't have any blood that's sinless, then the communion service typology is worthless to you. You're never going to get your operation and you're going to die in your sin. And that'll be the end of you and me and all of us. But I digress into ranting idiot mode. Why do they call me that? Because it's true. Again, high priest, sacrificial language. Luke 2.52 is inspection language. It's what it is. It's inspection language. It is referencing the inspection of Christ. Okay, To announce him as perfect. Again, I use the meat in the FDA to look at the meat, turn it upside down, and put a stamp on it. And say, that has been inspected and we have found it to be perfect. That's the high priest inspection. And by the way, you know that if you brought them a lamb and you brought it to them, what did they do? They inspected it. And how did they find it for you? They said, oh, your lamb's no good. Sorry, flunks. Bzz. Out you go with your lamb. Now you can buy one from us. We have an inspected one over here and we stamped this baby. And it's, you know, it's going today if you don't wait you to get it now or two. But wait... Double the per- And they would sell you one that they had inspected. So, Luke 2.52 is inspected language and it is referencing the inspection of Jesus Christ. And the purpose of the inspection is to announce and declare him as perfect and thus suitable to be the sacrifice and the substitute for sin, right? And who declares him innocent after inspecting him? Who does? Who did? Who said he was innocent? Mankind does that. And why is this necessary? And God, by the way, does not need to inspect himself for sin. He has done. His inspection is to prove to mankind and to the angelic host that he is suitable. He is the sin sacrifice and the solution to sin. And and by the way, let's just, and I'm going to separate, this is a triune alert, but because I don't know any other way to do it. I have three persons, three manifestations, one God, okay? Make sure that you understand that sameness. But I'll go ahead and, and, you can't separate them. It's impossible to separate them. Don't ever separate them, but I'm gonna do it. So this is a triune alert and it's wrong and badly said, but, but understand that, okay? Now let me ask you this question. Does God the Father take delight Favor, if you will, with the Son, with God the Son's sinlessness. Let me ask you this way. Does God the Father take delight with God the Son's sinlessness or with mankind's realization of it? Does that make sense? So when it says that that in favor with God and man, what's God's role in that? Does he he knows who he is. So what's left? Man knowing who he is. Does God delight in man knowing who he is? Back we go right here to E. Love filled. Preservation and salvation. God loves saving you. He delights in it. He loves you figuring out who he is and what he's doing. And so when more people begin to do that, he has his love he's emotional if you will okay just as with hebrews 5:8 the sacrificial language of luke 252 can only be explained and should be explained as within the, within and referencing the inspection process performed by men men witnessing the wisdom over time and the perfection over time Jesus Christ, by the way, is who? He's the creator of time, and He's outside of time, and He's not subject to time. Have no position that says He is, and to say that He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God would do what immediately to Him? It would put Him outside, or inside of time. You can't do that, so have no interpretation that does that. And what Jesus Christ does, as you know, He hides His Godhood from humanity. In the sense that he doesn't just openly declare it like we would want, which is how would we want him to do it? We'd want, you know, fireworks and all kinds of cool stuff. He did all of that, by the way, but nobody believed him anyway, right? He said immediately to them, I am God himself in the flesh, creator God, and they threw rocks at him. Like that was going to work. But note the Ark of the Covenant typology and the parables, okay? He hides inside A infant. And you have to search for him. He hides inside of humanity. He takes off his glory. He doesn't empty himself of his deity. So takes off his robe and his crown, if you will, and walks among us like a a prince and the pauper type idea. Okay? That's what he's doing. And the Ark of the Covenant traveled through Israel covered. He is traveling through Israel covered. Man slowly came to awareness that Jesus Christ is God by observing the overwhelming evidence that He presented. And that delights God when that happens. The language used here is revelatory, not time conditioned. God, the triune God, is pleased to see mankind find His salvation and yearn to Learn who he is. And he's he's pleased to see mankind accept his salvation and declare Christ to be innocent. And therefore the solution to sin and death. Thus accomplishing salvation for those who accept and believe in Jesus Christ. That is the favor with God there. It is while man is reacting to this revelation of who Christ is. Not that Christ is increasing to God in wisdom and stature. Mankind is seeing this increase and in recognizing that this is God. Man witnesses the wisdom revealed and the stature revealed, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that God is love-filled. I hope that gets you started. Benjamin, Okay, how does that fit into what we're doing? I hope you'll see. I'll try to make it. Apparent. Anyway, Benjamin, enjoy your studies of the sacrificial system. And that'll be a lot of fun. I recommend J.H. Kurtz and Hinsenberg. You'll need lots of caffeine for either or both of those. But that's where the solution to Luke 2.52 is, in the sacrificial system. Okay, Genesis 2.15 to 3.21. It is important that you notice this one little pattern that keeps happening there, that repeats and reverses and repeats, and ask the obvious question. Uh, and, and let's try with the remaining time to uh, at least figure that out. Last Sunday, if anybody remembers, I want you to uh, pay attention. I wanted you to pay attention to this order. I can't really erase this. I need to go to the other side. But I said there was this uh, pattern here. Uh, First, I have uh, this dealing with Adam, or if you will, the man, Okay, and the issue of death. Because God gets Adam and he makes him, and then he's going to put him inside the garden. So clearly he made him outside of the garden, now he's going to put him inside of the garden. And he tells him there's two trees, and if you eat from one, what will happen? Death. So I got man and death. And then I go, immediately he explains the two trees and all the issues of the two trees and the two decisions which are with the two trees. And then what's the next thing he does immediately to explain all of that that he just did? The two trees, the garden. You thought I would knock that over, I bet. That was probably only keeping me on the stage. Now, I'll bang my head again. Being dropped on my head occurred a lot. But all of that man and death, and the two trees and the garden and, and, and all of that is done. And then immediately what comes after that is what? Helper woman. Or woman helper or just helper. But I'll put woman down. Helper woman. Somehow helper woman explains putting Adam in the garden and the two trees. And you have to know why. What comes after a helper woman? There's three things that explain what he's doing in the first thing. Two that explain the first. They all three fit together. They're not separated. Whatever you do, don't read Genesis uh, 2, uh, uh, 15 through 3, 1 and say, these things are not connected. Oh, first he put him in the garden and two trees, and then he makes him a helper and a woman, and that has nothing to do with the two trees. It has everything to do with the two trees. You can't understand the two trees without knowing what the helper woman is all about. What comes next? He names the animals. Said this last week, right? Those three are one unit. Not three, they're three parts to one unit. You're not going to understand the two trees without the helper woman and the animal names. Does that make sense? Say yes, even though it doesn't. Say yes, just like me. Okay, good. Okay. Now, I wanted you to get that back in. Last Sunday, I, I did that, and I noticed that man and death are, are together, and woman and name are together, and animals and name are together when you get there, and woman and helper are together, and all of this stuff is connected. So we're going to go to Genesis now, 2.15. I'm going to read this to you from 220, or two twenty, 2.15 to 2.20. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Okay, So he wasn't in the Garden of Eden. He put him there to tend and keep it. And uh, this I call, by the way, the coronation or the kingship of Adam, if you will. Um, so Adam is now king of Eden. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So I have the knowledge you got to say, what is the anatomy of knowledge? Knowing something. Can he know the difference between good and evil? Why would God say you will have the knowing of the difference between good and evil if you don't have knowing capabilities? So he obviously does have the ability to discern the difference between good and evil. And in the day that you eat of that tree, death, right? Physical death. Not spiritual death necessarily. The spiritual death would come if he goes to the second tree, right? you got all of that. But we've definitely got temporal death. And the Lord God said, verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable or comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Now, wait a minute. Why doesn't he go and start talking about making the woman? He doesn't. He starts talking about what? The animals. How come I don't? Because, by the way, he doesn't make the woman out of the ground, does he? Makes the woman out of Adam, doesn't he? So why don't I go, man, don't eat from the tree, you're going to die. Help her, woman, I'm going to make her out of you. But he doesn't. He puts the name in the animals next. Before the making of the woman. Why? Keep going. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. I said last week. What did he call them? And whatever Adam called each living creature. Now, it doesn't say all the different groups. What's it say? Each living creature. How many are there? How smart is Adam? What kind of brain capacity does he have? Look, I don't remember your names. You've been here 20 years, some of you. The redheaded one looks familiar, but I can't really... Can't really come up with her name. Could you help me with that, dear, later? What's her name? Okay, we'll do what we can. <laughs> Adam, but let me go back. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called, each living creature, that was its name. Now, I suspect that he called all of them Steve, just to make it easy. That's probably not defensible based on the context and the language. So Adam gave names, I mean, in this case you didn't really read this, so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. They all had a name. Did he put a name tag on him? That's everybody. Or did he remember? What kind of capacity did this man have? He's better than your computer, isn't it? But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable or comparable to him. Okay? So, just notice, man, death, helper, woman, animals, name. Okay? Now, I want you to see the death. The surely die is the, he commands, he, there's a commandment um, here. So you can see the death and the man put together, the helper and the woman and the naming of the animals. So this is this, find it, uh, now you can find it without me from here on. I don't have time to, to, to go through all of it. It's kind of the give a fish, teach the fish method here. So, so far so good. But it repeats in Genesis 2.21 through 3.1. Again, you'll see this pattern, this death and then uh, of the man, man and death tied together, and the woman, and and then the beasts uh, are are the. In this case, sometimes you'll see Satan and the serpent mentioned. But anyway, just start looking for this pattern because it keeps coming back and back and back and back. Death, man, woman, beasts. Okay, and this naming aspect. So uh, that's important to know. The the. Uh, the serpent we 're going to have to deal with this this more um, cunning than any beast that 's a great mystery, and the implications are abound there. The more cunning is a relative term anyway this order repeats let 's just deal with it. The obvious question becomes why is this repeating? What is God doing with this repeating because it 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 repeats and reverses it reverses in genesis three four through seven um, It uh, it stays the same in Genesis 2.21 through 3.1, reverses in 3.4 through 7. It goes back to the normal positions in 3.9 through 13, reverses again in 3.14 through 19, and then in 3.20 through 21, it goes back to its positions again. So, why? Why is it doing it? At 3.9 through 13, it's man, woman, Satan, or serpent. And, then, and I have the four questions aspect of this, or the trial aspect of it. Because God asked four questions. Why is he asking four questions? He's asking four questions because he's, we're in a trial. I had a crime. And now I have the trial. I'm in front of the judge. And the judge asks four questions of the defendants. Who's the defendants that are there? I have three defendants. I have Adam and Eve and Satan, right? Man, woman, snake. Two of them respond to the questions. Not to every question. One of them says nothing. Satan did not confess. There are confessions of Adam and Eve. Those are confessions, by the way, not excuses. I am a trial. And the judge asks four questions and there is a confession by both the man and the woman. That's significant. Most commentators think this is some kind of excuse, finger-pointing. It's not what's happening here. The snake, Satan, did not confess at the trial. It's very important. And it reverses again at Genesis 3.14. It now goes serpent, woman, man. And and here I have the two incredible becauses, and we'll get to that. The serpent, because you have done this. The man, because you have heeded your wife. And I have the serpent, Satan, has this, because you have done this, he is cursed all the days of his life. Or if you want, all the days of his existence. Why is he cursed? All the days of his existence. The implication is, is the others are not right. Only he is the one that has this cursed all the days of your existence. And the woman has this issue with pride, with childbirth now all of a sudden. And the man, here I am back down here, childbirth. And the man has the curse for his sake. Okay. So that's how we begin to put all these pieces together. And finally, in Genesis uh, um, three twenty through, through twenty-one, the pattern returns to man, woman, and the animals, where the man names the woman Eve, and the woman is now the mother of the living. And the animal skins uh, are, are given as a substitutionary death or blood covering, if you will. So to recap, there exists a definite order. Six times that order is there. It reverses twice. So four times it's the same order. Twice it reverses. It reverses uh, during the sentencing phase. And many elements are given by God to us in these six blocks. I I make them blocks. That's the only way I could do it. When I started out looking at it many, many years ago, I had six blocks. And, And I would recommend you do that. Because that, that seemed to be the most helpful. And I put everything in, or if you wish, six cardboard boxes. And so you put everything in the boxes and stack them up and move them around. There are many elements are given by God in these six blocks, if you will, for lack of a better way to describe them. It's the best I can do. Each block contains its own subject. So there are six subjects here. And each block has its own information and they obviously fit together and build on each other until they form a whole and i've attempted to give each one a name over the years in a meager element or i'm sorry a meager effort to make them stand out so that i could remember them and others would understand what i was trying to explain some are easy to name by the way uh notice that the naming is there anyway genesis 2:15 through 20 i call the commanding of the man or the first naming uh or the uh, coronation kingship, if you will. You see, um, I have the, I have him naming animals. So that's the first naming. Uh, Genesis 2, uh, 21 through 25 is the second naming. Who is named there? Okay, She shall be called woman, right? And then Genesis 3, 4 through 7 are are the two crimes that are committed. One crime committed by the woman, one crime committed by the man. You can make the crime, call it three crimes, one crime committed by Satan, if you will. I'll allow allow that. But there's a reason that I only call it two. Get to that in the weeks to come. Genesis 9 through 13, 3, 9 through 13 is the uh, trial or the four questions or the confession box, okay? And next week I'll put this on the board again. Genesis three fourteen through nineteen is the sentencing phase of the trial. And Genesis three twenty through twenty-four is the pardon provision, or also called the third naming. So I have three namings. I have the naming of the animals, the She's called woman, and then she is renamed, or the renaming, if you will, or the third naming. And once I was satisfied in how each block came apart, then it was a matter of selecting out the most difficult of the pieces of the blocks, if that makes any sense. let me run through these really fast. How am I doing, Dorothy? Got a minute yet? Hope so. No, I don't, huh? For example, why is Adam doing all this naming? What is the significance of names? Did Satan ever name anything? Because they were both kings of Eden, weren't they? Why did Adam e, uh, rename Eve? How did the two becauses fit together? Because you've done this and because you've heeded the voice of your wife. Both Satan and Adam had to deal with a because. What is the reason for multiplying of sorrow for Eve? The pain of childbirth. We actually have death from childbirth, don't we? And life from childbirth. The knowing of good and evil and knowing that they were naked. What's that about? What is the meaning of nakedness? and uh, This ashamed. What are they ashamed of uh, exactly? And the serpent was more cunning, more cursed than all the cattle and beasts. How much more? Who else was cunning? How much cunning did they have? Why didn't Satan confess? Isn't confession good when you're in front of God? Wouldn't you think that would be a good idea? Satan didn't confess. Why not? What's your first answer to that? He knew he was guilty. Why didn't he confess? He'd already had his own trial, hadn't he? He was cursed forever. Adam did not make an excuse, nor did Eve they confessed. Finally, what is the purpose of the two trees? What did the angels think the purpose of the two trees was? What did Satan think the purpose was? Satan obviously acts if mankind has the ability to reject the commandment of God. Next week we'll wrap that together. We hope let's stand and be dismissed and will the music.